Welcome in, episode 211, What's Right with Nick Wright. All right, so a few housekeeping items before we get going. Demonze, not here today. Sadly, Demonze hurt himself pretty badly playing basketball the other night. I mean, he's going to be fine, but uh, hurt his leg, and so he is out. He is getting that checked on. We all wish Demonze our best. Sucks. This guy played his entire from the day he was born until he went off to college, he never suffered a single injury of any sort, uh, playing sports or otherwise. And then, kind of heartbreakingly, if you ask me, his body kind of betrayed him over the last five years. He suffered a couple very significant injuries in college, got hurt post-college, and now playing ball uh, in L.A., uh, hurt, hurt his ankle pretty badly. And so we wish Demonze our best. He's going to get the news on that tomorrow. Uh, and hopefully he can be back sometime soon. But that's why he's not in today. In happier news, you may have seen... And by the way, uh, if you're, you know, in the, if you, if you want to send Demonze well wishes via social media, uh, do that. If you want to, you know, I'm sure he's got nothing but time on his hands at the moment. So I'm sure he's probably running some great Fortnite sessions. I'm not sure what his, uh, what his dating situation is, but if anybody wants to, you know, send him a, a nice heart, uh, heartfelt message, I'm sure it'd be greatly appreciated. Now in happier news, uh, there you go. Appreciate that guys. You guys have seen me a couple times wear these chip bully sweatshirts. So it's my buddy, uh, Joe Black's bank, uh, brand poker player. Joe is right now at the Bur- Borgata in a multi-day $5,000 buy-in tournament. First place is a little over $600,000. And if you check the website, given the updates, there's 17 people left. And my buddy Joe... Chip Bully himself is the massive chip leader with 17 left with a little over 600,000 up top. And so listen, long ways to go. They uh, get the cards in the air in about 90 minutes. I wish I could go down and watch him, but I have the show. The final table will be streamed tomorrow. Uh, Hopefully he's in it. And really happy for him. So it's kind of trying to send good vibes his way uh, by wearing the chip bully gear. And actually, uh, since I know he's prepping, if we could clip this little section, if you guys could send it to me, I want to text it to him before the cards get in the air. But we have a ton of actual work to do today. Here is what missed the cut for today's show. T-Pain, do it. halftime show for Kansas City, Baltimore. I, I, I want to be on the record. I'm anti-halftime shows for anything but the Super Bowl. I think halftime shows of non-Super Bowl football games should exclusively be uh, dogs doing awesome things or kids playing flag football games or mascots wrecking kids in flag football games. That should be the entirety of halftime. Halftime of NBA games should either be a magic act or somebody, you know, Red Panda throwing the bowls on her head, something cool like that, or once again, dogs. But musical acts should be reserved for the Super Bowl. Australian Open semis are underway. We're not going to get into that. And the Team USA player pool announced, I saw the thing, oh man, they didn't pick Draymond Green because 
of his outbursts. Really, it's funny. I thought they didn't pick Draymond Green because he's not good enough anymore to be on Team USA. Who knows? All right. Major news before we get to conference championship weekend. Jim Harbaugh heading to the Los Angeles Chargers. That is our top story today. And everyone wants to know, Nick, you nervous? I mean, we basically could just re-rack from this time last year. Sean Payton heading to the Denver Broncos. Nick, you nervous? No, I'm not nervous for the Chiefs. But Harbaugh is an excellent coach. And you could make an argument that of all the coaching candidates, Vrabel, Belichick, Ben Johnson, Harbaugh, all of them, that Harbaugh's the best one. And he, not surprisingly, went to the team with the best quarterback. So they will be better. There's no doubt about that. And maybe we see Justin Herbert, who came into the league as an A-, minus, which was unbelievable for a rookie, and now, in my opinion, has just maintained his status as an A-, minus, which is then a little disappointing. Maybe we see him get a tick or two better, and the team as a whole be better coached. The problem for the Chargers is this, and I hate to, on conference championship weekend, start the podcast with some cap nerd stuff, but we have to. The Chargers are one of a handful of teams that really took their shot and now have to retool a bit. So going into next season, the Los Angeles, the the cap space available to teams. The team with the least cap space, $80 million over the cap, it's of course the Saints. Now, Saints fans will tell us the cap is fake. Nick, you don't understand it, but that's because they've been being lied to by their local media for years and years and people covering the team. That bill has been coming due over the last few years. It's why that team can't get over the hump and the bill is fully coming due here in short order for them. But after the Saints, the Dolphins and Bills both $50 million over the cap, and the Chargers, $44 million over the cap. What do all three of those teams have in common? All three of those teams thought, you know what? We can go win right now. Let's borrow a bit from the future. And if we're Miami, screw it. We have Waddle. We're going to go get Tyree Kill. We're going to trade for Jalen Ramsey. We're going to up grade our pass rush, we're going to try to win while our quarterback's on his rookie contract. Buffalo, we're so close. We're so close. We're so close. You know what? We're going to bring back Poyer and Hyde this, uh, you know, in the past. We're going to go out in the big mistake, go out and sign Von Miller. We, a few years ago, we're going to, instead of drafting a wide receiver, we're going to trade that first-round pick for a very expensive wide receiver and Stephon Diggs. We're trying to go right now. And then there's the Chargers that traded for Khalil Mack, that kept, they brought Eckler back, they kept Mike Williams, kept Keenan Allen, paid Derwin James, paid Joey Bosa, paid Justin Herbert. And now the team is in a position where, and we'll go through it quickly, they have one more year of Herbert cheap. He's at $20 million next year. But that also means you can't really restructure Herbert's deal to free up a bunch of cap space. Eckler is a free agent. You have no other running back you trust. 
Keenan Allen, next season, right now, has a $34 million cap hit. He is going to be either extended, which I would be nervous about at his age, restructured, but there's only a year left. So again, that's just adding void years, barring from the future, or cut to save $23 bucks. Mike Williams next year has a $32 million cap hit. You can save $20 million on the cap by cutting him. Maybe you extend him because they're both Allen and Mike Williams are on the last year of their deal, but they drafted Quentin Johnston believing they were going to move on from Mike Williams. But you can't have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams combined for $67 million cap hit. And Quentin Johnston obviously had one of the most disappointing rookie seasons of any highly drafted wide receiver last few years. You keep it moving, and you're like, okay, what about the rest of their team? They obviously have a star left tackle in Rashawn Slater. They have to extend him. They cannot let him go, and the rest of the offensive line has a big question mark. Corey Lindsley, unfortunately, has some health issues. He's got a $14 million cap hit. You wonder if he they have to move on from him, but he's a good player when he's healthy. Defensively is where the pain is really coming. They don't have a single D lineman you love, and they're not going to have this the cap space to go out and improve it. Bosa and Mack, Khalil Mack next year, last year of his deal, $38 million on the cap. Again, you can extend him at 33 years old if you want. He's coming off a great year, but that would be risky if you ask me. You can move on from him and save $23 million, but he was the best player on your defense last year. Joey Bosa, who has not lived up to he when he's healthy and right, looks awesome, but how often is that? Joey Bosa, $36 million on the cap next season, and moving on from him, which they're not going to do, doesn't even save you that much money. And then, of course, there's Derwin James, who at times looks like at early in his career, he's going to be the best safety in football. Instead, he's just been very good, but he is paid like he's the best safety in football. So I And by the way, they have $20 million dead against the cap next year because of the J.C. Jackson disaster. I say all that to say this. The Chargers are not going to have enough talent to be a true contender. They don't have the money to fill in their holes, and they are going to have to move on from some of their more productive older players. So in a few years, we'll see what the Chargers look like. And because of Harbaugh, they are scary, adjacent, but the they are right now not competing with the Chiefs. Right now... They are competing with the Jags, the Broncos, the other theoretically talented teams that just missed out on the playoffs to try to get back in the tournament. Because when we talk about, when you look at the AFC and you say, okay, who are we confident next season? is going to be a playoff team. I know it changes year over year, but with the seven playoff spots, it's very, and I understand there's injuries, but 
Kansas City's not going anywhere. Cincinnati was, despite all the quarterback injuries and Burrow being hurt before and then during the year, still won nine games. I don't think Houston's getting worse. I don't think Baltimore's going anywhere. And I don't think Buffalo, as far as missing the playoffs, is going to go anywhere. That's five, guys. That doesn't mention Miami. That doesn't mention Cleveland. That doesn't mention Pittsburgh. That doesn't mention the Jags. That doesn't mention the Chargers, the Broncos, obviously. The Chargers made a great hire. That hire does not make them anything close to a Super Bowl contender. All right, next, Lamar Jackson. So I did an all-time quarterback pyramid that I'm getting some pushback on because it was, I'll try to do it off the top of my head, but here's, you know, it's a pyramid, so it's one guy in row one, two in row two, so on and so forth. And this was the pyramid. Row one was Brady. Row two was Mahomes and Manning. Row three was Montana, Elway, and Marino. So there's the top six. Row four was Rodgers, Favre, Staubach, and Steve Young. Steve Young, who I think's eternally underrated. I think Steve Young, the only quarterback I've ever seen that reminded me that Mahomes reminds me of is Steve Young. And then row five was Bradshaw, Breeze, Kurt Warner, Aikman, and then in the last spot was Lamar, which means I had him ahead of Big Ben. Jim Kelly, and this was post-merger, so I'm not counting Bart Starr and Johnny Unitas and those guys. Uh, had him ahead of, if you guys in the control room think there's anyone else those you know, fringe uh, that I didn't mention, tell me. But I had him ahead of every one of them, those guys. I just want, and I called him a Hall of Famer. I want to be very clear on this. Calling him a Hall of Famer is not really a judgment call at this point he has two MVPs I'm assigning him this year's MVP because he's going to win it um that makes him a hall of famer here's the full list of people with multiple NFL MVPs Peyton Manning's got five Aaron's got four Jim Brown Johnny Unitas Brett Favre Tom Brady have three Joe Montana Steve Young, Kurt Warner, Patrick Mahomes all have two, and now so does Lamar Jackson. Kurt Warner got in. He didn't get in on his first year of eligibility, but he got in, and I don't think many people were worried that he wasn't going to get in. Steve Young got in either on his first or second year of eligibility. Everyone else was a first ballot guy. It is unequivocal that Lamar Jackson with two MVPs is going to be a Hall of Famer. And if you want to argue like that putting him in that pantheon is too premature, he now has the pelts on the wall that says it's not. Now, as far as uh, this game itself, people are wondering... All right, we have been trying to create 
a Brady Manning for Patrick Mahomes. And it was Josh Allen. People briefly flirted with the idea of it being Burrow. They then really tried to sell us all week last week again that it was Josh Allen. And now people want it to be Lamar. But, and I talked about this on the TV show, but it's worth time again here. People are misremembering what Brady Manning was. Brady Manning was a legitimate, real debate that there was not a vast majority on one side or the other for the entirety of Peyton Manning's career when they when Brady and Manning's career when they overlapped. So let me lay it out for you, okay? Let's go to heading into the 2006 NFL season. Up to that point, and I want to make sure I have this right, Peyton Manning already had two league MVPs and Tom Brady hadn't sniffed one. Conversely, up to that point, they had played twice in the playoffs. Peyton hadn't played well in either game. Brady had beaten him both times, and Brady had three rings. So in the mid-2000 aughts, it was, well, one guy, eye test, accolades, stats, is so clearly better. The other guy, on the other hand, has three Super Bowl rings, is 2-0 against him in the playoffs. You could make strong arguments on either side. Then, in the 2006 season, they play once again in the playoffs. Tom Brady, but for the first time, it's in Peyton's building. Tom Brady's team is up 21-3 at halftime. It looks like it's going to just be another time the Patriots roll. Peyton's team storms all the way back, then goes on to win the Super Bowl two weeks later, and now the playoff matchups are 2-1, the Super Bowls are 3-1, but Peyton's got a couple MVPs, okay? Smash cut now forward five more years. Tom Brady now has won a couple MVPs and has made a couple more Super Bowls, but has lost them both. Peyton made another Super Bowl, won another two MVPs, but didn't win the Super Bowl. Peyton goes to Denver. They play in the postseason in Denver. Peyton outplays him. Peyton's team wins. Peyton wins his fifth MVP, has a 55-touchdown season. The playoff records are now 2-2. Peyton is now going to another Super Bowl. In that, Tom Brady hasn't won a Super Bowl in a decade. In that moment, most people thought Brady Manning is Peyton. Okay? They then lose that Super Bowl. The Patriots win the next year. So now it's four to one Super Bowls. Peyton then in 2015, they play again in the playoffs. Peyton beats him again, even though Peyton that year was not good. The Broncos win the Super Bowl, and Peyton retires. So the day Peyton retired, the ledger looked like this. It was MVPs were 
five to two, Peyton. Playoff matchups were three to two in Peyton's favor. Super Bowls were four to two in Brady's favor. And a lot of people, the day Peyton Manning retired, believed that's the best quarterback of his generation. And then after he retired, Tom Brady in 2016 went to the Super Bowl, had the 28-3 comeback, got his fifth ring. In 2017, went to the Super Bowl, threw for 500 yards, lost in a shootout, 20 and one league MVP. 2018, went to beat Patrick Mahomes in the AFC title game in a classic, went to the Super Bowl, won it. That's his sixth ring. 2019, last year with the Patriots, 2020, went to Tampa Bay, went to the Super Bowl, won Super Bowl MVP and won it. 2021, came in second in league MVP. And now Peyton, uh, Tom, it's not even a debate. So, but for the entirety of when their careers overlapped, there were strong arguments on both sides of it. So I give that history to say this. There is no goddamn Peyton Brady for Mahomes anyone. There is no argument. There is no rival. Now, it doesn't mean no one will ever beat him. Hell, Joe Burrow beat him. Lamar might beat him on Sunday. We'll see. But it is far, far closer to Tiger Phil or Gretzky Lemieux or Gretzky Messier than anything we've seen in the NFL where there is a unquestioned clear best and then a different people jockeying for second best. That's what the, the, the rivalry actually is. Lamar versus Burrow and Josh. That's the rivalry. So, I, and by the way, Lamar might win, they might win this weekend. I, I, the, the folks that watch this show or watch the TV show know, I thought it was going to be impossible for Miami to win in the wild card round. I thought the Chiefs were clearly the better team than Buffalo, and I thought they were going to win by 10. They, the fumble at the goal line blew that, but whatever. I was, as Brew would say, 10 toes down confident in both of those games. To me, this is a 60-40 game. 65-35 game. Now, I think the Chiefs should be favored because... If Patrick Mahomes isn't playing Tom Brady in the playoffs, he's 13-1. and And the one is an overtime loss to Burrow. And I don't think anybody, when Patrick's healthy, hell, last year he wasn't healthy. Uh, I mean, the last interception Patrick threw in the playoffs was in that loss to Joe Burrow. Five straight games without an interception in the playoffs. League record. And so, I... I understand that the Ravens are an excellent team and Lamar's playing the best football of his life, but there is no rivalry. There isn't. And the producers are asking me if this is me hedging. This isn't me hedging. This is me giving my honest thoughts. The No matter how 
how do you say this? No matter how good I believe the Chiefs are, I recognize that this is not a year where they are head and shoulders better than the second or third best teams in football. Now, I do believe this. Sunday at 3 o'clock on CBS is the Super Bowl. The winner of Sunday's game is going to roll in the Super Bowl. I believe that. Sorry to my Lions fan friends, and I guess less sorry to my Niners fan friends because Niner fans hate me, so I don't think I have a lot of friends uh, in the Bay Area, sadly. But this is going to be a great game. And the other thing the producers asked me is, am I more afraid of Lamar with his arm or his legs? This is not about Lamar. It's more about how the Chiefs are built. I'm more afraid of him with his legs. I trust the Chiefs' corners. I think the Chiefs have the best pair of corners in football. And I am interested in, if they get Mark Andrews back, if that is going to be as good for Baltimore as they think. Because Lamar, once Mark Andrews went down, was kind of forced to start to diversify his receiving options. I wonder if Mark Andrews out there, if he tries to force him the ball, but maybe not. That Now, Andrews and Likely in a two-tight end set, that could be tough to deal with. Ravens are a very, very good team. But I think the Chiefs defense and Ravens defense is a wash. I think that as well as Lamar has played, it is unquestioned which quarterback you trust more in this game. And... Lamar with his legs breaking contain is a scary thought, but the Chiefs had a pretty good game plan for that last week against Josh and the Bills where they gave them all the short stuff they wanted and because of that, they kind of got eaten up on the ground, but what they didn't do was give up a single play of 20-plus yards. Um. All right, next. You guys right. You've been calling the Chiefs disrespected all year, being a three-and-a-half-point road dog versus the best team in the league seems par for the course. Meanwhile, the Lions are a full touchdown dog after San Francisco nearly lost to Green Bay a week ago. Who is actually the disrespected team? Well, the Chiefs have been disrespected the entire season as if no one had watched football or Mahomes prior to this year. It was ridiculous. This weekend, it is the Lions. The Lions have been... It's very odd... Because the Lions started the year off by going to Kansas City with 40 million, 30 million people watching, however many people were watching, and beating the Chiefs. And despite that, they've never really gotten the respect of it. Oh, they're a cute team. They're a good story. And I'm guilty of that to a degree as well. I haven't looked at the Lions as an A-list contender, and they're a game away from the Super Bowl. So a lot of that has to do with the fact that I think it's twofold. One is the Lions' stars, skill guys have are haven't been stars as long as some of the other teams' star skill guys, even if they're just as good. Gibbs is awesome. Laporta went before he got hurt was arguably as a rookie having the best year of any tight end, and Amon Ross St. Brown might be the most overlooked. Awesome, awesome receiver in the league. So that hurts him. The other thing that hurts him 
Obviously, the defense is susceptible, but set that aside. People don't really trust Goff. But the fact of the matter on Goff is this. He's a hard player to trust because the moment he gets pressured, not existential pressure, but pressured, the moment that happens, he turns into a pumpkin. We saw it in the first playoff game of the year when he got pressured and threw a two-hand chest pass backwards towards his own end zone. He can't deal with it. But if they can keep him clean, if they can neutralize Young and Bosa off the edge and Armstead and Hargrave up the middle, which is a hell of a tall task, but the Lions have invested a lot in that offensive line to be able to do it, Goff can pick apart that secondary. And so, yeah, they are a bit disrespected, but some of that's because they don't have the history Some of that's because they don't have the star, A-list name recognition star power. And some of that, honestly, is because people just don't totally trust the quarterback. Speaking of not trusting quarterbacks, we'll go to Brock Purdy's, the Brock Purdy discussion. Producers write, Purdy has made the NFC Championship game every year. Okay, by the way, so did Jimmy Garoppolo when he was healthy, just for the record. Uh... But you call him, I call him, San Francisco's weak link. If the 49ers make the Super Bowl with him, there's no way they move on. But are you going to make the galaxy brain take that losing would be better for San Francisco in the long run? I'm not going to say losing would be better in the long run. What I would say, what I will say is this. If Purdy plays the way he did against Green Bay and they lose, it is absolutely on the board that he's not their starting quarterback week one of next year. And all these quotes from Shanahan and his teammates and all of it, that what the Niners will do if Purdy plays poorly and they lose is try to quietly do recount on Kirk Cousins. Will you take less than you can get elsewhere to come play for Kyle Shanahan? So Kirk has made an unbelievable amount of money in his career. He's at $231 million. He's about to be a true and clear, free, uh, free and clear free agent uh, and can go anywhere. The Niners don't have the money to give him a top-of-the-market deal. But I'm sure they believe correctly that that would be a massive upgrade if they trust his health coming off the Achilles. And if he would take a below-market deal for a great chance at a Super Bowl, they would investigate it. We heard from Brock Purdy himself this offseason that Kyle Shanahan told him they were going to move on. They He wasn't going to be the starter if they signed Brady. And at Niner fans are angry with me Because, how do I put it? I think it's projection. I think Niner fans deep down are more scared of Purdy than anybody. But because the numbers have been so good, because he's 20 and 5, because of all these things, they feel like you in the media should be obligated to love him, to say great things about him, rather than to evaluate the games as if they were on television. And it was 
truly amazing to me how many people this week are tripling down on Brock, even though we all saw that game and he was the worst player on the field for massive stretches of it. And so if they, after being very fortunate to win at home against Jordan Love and Green Bay because of his poor play, if they then lose at home to Jared Goff and the Niners, some real offseason questions for San Francisco. Who do I think is going to win that game? You guys probably have an idea of who I think is going to win the Chiefs-Ravens game. We'll do both of those in our pick segment next. What's right? What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Warmer, sunnier days are approaching, so fuel up for them with Factors, no prep, no mess meals. Factor will help you meet your wellness goals just in time for summer, thanks to a vast menu of chef-crafted, never-frozen meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These fresh meals are ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Variety? They have that. Factor has 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. Working on wellness goals? Factor has you covered with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. How do they taste? They're delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious, and delicious options. What about quality? Each Factor meal is restaurant quality with premium ingredients like filet mignon, blackened salmon, and shrimp. So start spending less time in the kitchen now because you don't have to shop, prep, cook, or clean up. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash nickwright50 and use code nickwright50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code nickwright50 at factormeals.com slash nickwright50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Welcome back. What's right with Nick Wright? Episode 211. This episode is brought to you 
by U.S. Bank. Winter can be a drag. Thankfully, we have sports to get us through the early part of the year. And if you ask me, nothing goes together quite like food and sports, especially this time of year. you got the NFL playoffs, got pro basketball. You can just hang out at home watching sports till finally the weather gets warm. And the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card provides the perfect way to earn rewards. Whether watching your team with other fans at a local restaurant or if you're in the comfort of your own home. Earn four times points when you dine out or have food delivered. Maybe order a pizza and watch the big game on that big screen TV of yours. Earn two times points at grocery stores, which is great if you're making, you know, nachos or chili at home. And if you're willing to brave the elements, getting to the game can be rewarding as you'll earn two times points at gas stations and EV charging stations. Go to usbank.com slash altitude go to learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Score big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash altitude go to apply and live life, live every day, pardon me, your way. Limited time offer, credit or an issuer of this bank's U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA Incorporated. Some restrictions may apply. All right, welcome back in. What's right with Nick Wright? Demonze out today as he suffered an injury playing basketball, so nothing but our thoughts with Demonze. He's kind of going through a rough time at the moment. Uh, the producer's asking me to rank potential Super Bowl matchups, so we will do that right now. There's four potential matchups. Rank them 4-1 to one based on what would be the most exciting games with the best storylines. Okay, that's an interesting question. The so I I think that and I think the ratings bear this out. I think the best storylines have to involve, and I know you guys are gonna roll your eyes, but have to involve the Chiefs going for a second straight title. Um I think that given the fact that this did not, this is not a fate accompli season. The last time the Chiefs were going for their second straight title, they were fourteen and one uh, in games Mahomes played. He rested in Week Seventeen, and they kind of rolled in route to the Super Bowl. Their first playoff game, they played the Browns. They had total control, and then Mahomes got choked out on the field. Uh, their second playoff game, the AFC title game, they annihilated the Bills. And then, so it was really, the question was who was going to come out of the NFC, not the AFC. And then Brady and the Bucks came out of the NFC and kicked their ass. But the lead up to it, there wasn't a lot of doubting of the defending champion Chiefs that year. This year, obviously, totally different. You then add to it, it cements them as an undoubted, unquestionable dynasty. And I talked about this on the show uh, the other day, yesterday, actually, I think that this, that the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl this year would put them number three for all, all-time dynasties. I think there have been six in the true dynasties in the Super Bowl era, and then another seven or eight mini almost dynasties, but the six would be, in no order, if you will, the Steelers... Of the 70s, in six years, they went to four Super Bowls, won all four, went to five conference championship games. The Niners from 81 to 89, in nine years, went to four Super Bowls, won them all, 
uh, went to five conference championship games. The Patriots from 2011 to 2018. I think the Patriots thing has to be split up because they went nine years without winning a Super Bowl. Uh, So I split it up into two. So the Patriots from 11 to 18 in that eight-year stretch went to five Super Bowls. No. Hold on. Yeah, went to five Super Bowls, won three, went to eight conference championship games. The Cowboys from 91 to 95, 92 to 95, pardon me, in four years went to three Super Bowls, won them all, went to all four conference championship games. The Patriots from 01 to 04 in four years went to three Super Bowls, won them all, and missed the playoffs in the middle year. And the Chiefs from, if they win this year, 19 to 23 in a five-year stretch, went to four Super Bowls, won three, went to conference championship game every single year. Obviously went to the conference championship game the year before, but you kind of starts. You can't have a dynasty kind of era start in a year you don't even make the Super Bowl. If the Chiefs win it, I think that it, the if we're ranking dynasties, it would go Steelers from 74 to 79, number one. Patriots from 11 to 18, number two, and Chiefs from 19 to 23, number three. With the Chiefs able to trump the Patriots if they win one more, well, maybe trump them all, but certainly trump the Patriots if they win another one in the next few years. And obviously, if the Chiefs win this year and then they were to win next year, then they are the greatest dynasty ever because they nobody will have had more than the four rings in this time frame and they would have won three in a row so I guess the least sexy matchup is Baltimore Detroit so that would be number four still good storylines and it that that but that would be built around Lamar the next matchup would be Baltimore San Francisco and that would be the league MVP against the guy who a lot of people thought was going to be league MVP and Purdy will Shanahan finally get over the hump and then number two would be Kansas City-Detroit, game one of the year, game 285 of the year, the most tortured fan base maybe in all of sports, Detroit Lions, versus a, all of a sudden spoiled fan base than Kansas City Chiefs. And then the best one would be Chiefs-Niners because it'd be Mr. Irrelevant against the greatest quarterback we've ever seen. So that's what it would be. All right, uh, to the divisional round gambling recap. I went one and three. There's no way around it. Now, Tampa, I feel like I was on the right side of. Houston I and San Francisco, I obviously was not. Kansas City, never a doubt throughout. So we're four and six. There's three games left. So just to finish above 500, I'm going to have to go three and oh the rest of the way. And we'll start with Kansas City, Baltimore. Kansas City getting three and a half is outrageous. You want to say Kansas City should be a dog, so be it. Getting more than a field goal is outrageous. And the the trend stats are, in the last 20 years, Super Bowl winning quarterbacks are 59-24-2 against the spread in the playoffs as a dog. Mahomes, Mahomes has only been a dog of more than three twice in his career. Once a three-point loss to the Patriots, his first year as a starter, and once... Uh, five-point win against Pittsburgh in his third start ever. 
Uh, Lamar, sneaky, not great as a home favorite, 16-23 and 23 against the spread. Harbaugh, obviously legendary against the spread because he's won in the playoffs, 14-7 and seven against the spread uh, because... He, uh, they've had so many road games in his career, so they're dogs in most of those. But this one's simple. I think the defenses are a push, and I trust Mahomes more than I trust Lamar. It's not a slide on Lamar. I trust Mahomes more than I trust anybody. Uh, and I think that the Chiefs' offense is rolling right now. Not that Before the kneel downs, they were at almost nine yards per play. That game against Buffalo, they had more yards per play than any playoff game of the Mahomes era. And they barely had the ball and still were a yard away from scoring 34 points. Uh, so I like the Chiefs in this spot. I like the Chiefs to win outright in a very good game. I like this is uh, a back-and-forth, tightly contested. But I think the Chiefs' offense can really make some noise in this. This feels like a... I mean, I know it sounds like cop-out because it was the same score as last week, but a 27-24 Kansas City victory. All right, Detroit is getting seven at San Francisco. That's way too many points. I'll take Detroit plus the seven, and there is the question about Debo. Obviously, the Niners have been a totally different team. They're 12-1 with him, 1-4 without him. Uh... And the one win was last week where they didn't look good without him. Even if he plays, you can't imagine he's going to be 100%. And if it's a shoulder injury, the way he his style of play, you feel like he could you know, have to leave the game despite it. I, I think Detroit can win this game outright. I think that Detroit can block up San Francisco, and in which case, Goff is going to be able to move the ball on them. So I will take Detroit, not only plus seven, but Detroit to win outright. And we get in the final game of the year, the first game of the year. Chiefs-Lions to start the season, Chiefs-Lions to end the season. And shout out to Danny Parkins. I've, I've mentioned this pod before, but you guys should check it out. It's a great football pod called First in Pod with Danny Parkins and Andrew Filipponi. That was Danny's pick before the season. And he's a game away from nailing it. All right, so we can show you the picks. I'm taking both dogs and both dogs to win outright. Uh, so the offer this week is the producers trying to get me to parlay two goats. Mahomes to win the Super Bowl MVP at plus 380. And Djokovic to win the Australian Open at minus 130. That combines for a plus 750. I mean, that seems pretty good. You know what, Matt Ford? I'll take that offer. Uh, I haven't watched any of the Australian Open, but so I'm doing it blind, but I'm trusting Matt. I'll take that offer. And then a bonus offer. I have a chance at redemption for my Super Bowl exacta bet. Kansas City to beat Detroit in the Super Bowl right now is 15 to 1. So here's the pro so I'm not gonna take that. And the reason I'm not gonna take that is because you're going to be able to get better odds if you just bet that separately. So if you just if you parlay Kansas City and Detroit to win this weekend, you get that at 10 to 1. So if you just were to do that, Kansas City is not going to be more than a minus 200 favorite 
in the Super Bowl if they were to play. So, and I don't even know if there'll be a fate, like what they would be in that game. I'm sure those odds are out. I haven't looked. So if you believe that's going to happen, just bet, just bet it this weekend and then take every single thing you won and put it on uh, the winner of the Super Bowl. That's just, you're going to get better, at least a touch better than 15 to 1. All right, quick break. Come back and answer some of your listener questions next. What's right? Welcome back in. What's right with Nick Wright? Episode 211. Uh, we'll get to your listener questions now. By the way, shout out to Lloyd C., one of our favorite listeners who once again won Jeopardy. So he is now in the semifinals for the Tournament of Champions. Also, shout out to Katie Nolan and crew for crushing on Celebrity Jeopardy. My One of my lifelong dreams is to get on Real Jeopardy, but I'm not going to lie. I will take the cop out of getting on Celebrity Jeopardy if I can next year. I, I would desperately, desperately like to do that. Um, Mitchell B. asks, can you offer your point of view on why Mahomes is so successful against the Blitz and Goff is terrible? Is there ability to read the Blitz for the player or something else? So I don't actually know if Goff is terrible against the Blitz. Goff is terrible when pressured. So I, the, the phraseology of this matters. B- the best quarterbacks in football are great historically against blitzes. Because when we say blitz, what they mean is sending extra rushers at the quarterback, which then makes it so your receivers are in one-on-ones. The best quarterbacks can read that, diagnose it pre-snap, point out who needs to be blocked, and then make quick decisions. And I don't I don't have Goff's numbers against the blitz. He might be good at that. I'm not certain. What Goff is terrible at is when he is pressured. And Mahomes this year wasn't great when pressured, meaning, and so the distinguishing factor is, if you can create pressure without blitzing, that's what is basically every quarterback's, uh, what was the thing, kryptonite. Uh, that's how the Giants beat Tom Brady in two Super Bowls. They had no business doing it. They had a four-man pass rush that could get home so you could double cover guys, you could play uh, coverage, and still create pressure on the quarterback. So that's the ideal. Typically, you have to send at least a little extra pressure or blitzer to get to the quarterback. Where Mahomes, this year he wasn't great, but historically is, is even when he's pressured, it's because of his escapability athleticism compared to golf and arm talent to be so he's athletic enough and escapable enough which golf is not to get away from maybe the first wave of pass rushers and then while on the move or without being able to set his feet or without necessarily having his body positioned the right way he is able to make throws that other guys can't so that's why he is it's why Josh Allen historically can be very good in those spots. He just sometimes makes some bad decisions. Goff just doesn't have the athletic ability for it, and I don't think he has the eye discipline to keep his eyes upfield when the rushers are coming towards him. Uh, Shadox asks, if you're running the Cowboys, would you rather pay Dak a massive contract like five years, 280, or give Baker some of the ballpark of three years, 105? Listen, I... I don't think either of those would be great options for the Cowboys. What they're going to do is pay Dak Prescott the like. When people see Dak's deal, they're not going to believe it. When Dak gets 
a three-year extension for $175 million, people are going to think it's a misprint, but it's what's coming. If Dak gets a four-year deal for $240 million with the majority of it guaranteed, people won't believe it, but it's what's coming. I spent too much time talking cap stuff early in the show to go through it, uh, but that's what's coming. Uh, Scott Murphy asks, how much blame does Giannis deserve for the dysfunction in Milwaukee given his growing input and pressure he's put on the front office? I was talking with my buddy Ty Butler, who hosts uh, radio for ESPN New York about this actually this morning. If the Bucks don't make the finals this year at a minimum, folks are going to be coming after Giannis a bit. The coaching changes, the, the Drew, Dame trade, that, that now it's too early to blame anyone because we don't know if it's gone wrong, but it's certainly the early returns haven't been good. Uh, N- Noah Rodriguez asked, what were your thoughts on the Chet Wimby matchup last night? Who's your current rookie of the year? Chet's clearly the rookie of the year. I loved the competitiveness between Chet and Wimby last night, even though it was a blowout. And if both can stay healthy, that should be a great rivalry moving forward. Uh, Jay asks, had Sirianni gotten fired with the Eagles job been a better spot for Harbaugh? Unquestionably. He, he'd get the most out of Jalen and it's the far easier conference and a way, way easier division. Uh, Elijah King said, if you could compare DeMonze's basketball style of play to an NBA player, who would it be? DeMonze at his peak was stylistically... All right, so who is just a knockdown shooter? You know what? With great athleticism, DeMonze at his peak stylistically was Michael Porter Jr. Just an amazing jump shot, you know, tall for his position, um, excellent athlete, and could be a lockdown defender when he opted to and has no interest in dribbling the basketball. So Michael Porter Jr. is who DeMonze was. Uh, at his peak. Again, send good vibes to DeMonze as he's dealing with a hoops injury. Uh, And I'll see you guys on TV at 3 o'clock later today. What's right? Hey, it's Nick Wright. Thank you so much for watching. Please do us a favor. Click subscribe. It helps my ego. And DeMonze's got a financial bonus writing on a number of YouTube subscribers. So help him out. And also, click the bell. I don't know what the bell does, but they tell me to tell you to click the bell. And your audio listeners, people that have commutes, drives, whatever it is, subscribe to the podcast as well, wherever you get the podcast. Same show, just, you know, just in your ears instead of through your eyes. All that. Check it out. Appreciate y'all.